When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 252 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and I'm again joined by who else can help me prepare for El Clasico but my friend Frances Tomas. Frances, it's El Clasico week. Can you feel it? Can you feel the buzz? Can you feel the energy? We can, we can. Um, I think that that Dembele winner in the last minute actually spurred us on to what's promising to be a great week. Um, we need to be optimistic because, you know, nothing has been lost just yet. And actually, we seem to be getting closer and closer to Atletico de Madrid. It looks like we've got possibilities in La Liga. So, yeah, the, the sky's the limit. We need to keep moving. We need to keep pushing forward. And let's see what happens. Well, we've got three things on the docket today. We've got we all buy the lead to review, of course, and we have El Clasico to preview, of course. But before we talk any Real Madrid at all, we're going to actually start with something that all the Kool-Aids online, in the Facebook group, all these different places, Frances, have been asking us to talk about, and I think deservedly need to be talked about. And we are going to actually start with the Barca Femini on the show again. Then we're going to do Real Madrid, then we're going to go Real Madrid. Because if there is one side, for as much as the first team unbeaten in Europe, the only one in a top five league unbeaten, that being the men's first team, still, the accomplishments this year so far of Barca Femini, they have been the most dominant women's team in all of club football, in all of women's club football, if you will. 
And they've got some big matches coming up on the horizon as well. April 24th and May 1st, they will be meeting either Lyon or PSG in the semifinals of the Champions League. This after beating Man City in the quarterfinals of the Champions League, 3-0 in the first leg, then losing 2-1 in the second leg. But by that point, it didn't matter. They had taken their foot off the gas quite a bit. And that press in particular, the press for the midfield and the front line of the Femini is elite. Maybe the best in the world. Jenny Hermoso, a top goal scorer as well. That back line with Andre Pereira, Mapi Leon in the center, Sandra Panos in net. They do not concede goals either. Alexia Puteas, who I've mentioned before, one of my favorite players in the world, taking that next jump into being one of the best midfielders in the world in the last year. Now, the one thing that Luis Cortez does have to deal with at this juncture, though, is some injuries. Ashwala had injury uh, surgery rather this week on an injured foot. But it wasn't anything major, and she should be back soon. And she featured in that second leg against Man City with that damaged foot due to Jenny Hermoso being out with injury as well. So Cortez has had to deal with injuries and recent ones at that with great frequency this season. And yet, even with Martins having finally been healthy for a few weeks in a row, uh, Jenny working her way back, Caroline Graham Hansen as well, also nursing an injury after being cut down late in that first lay against Man City. Still, this is a team, even with all the injuries I just named, Frances, they're coming off a 7-1 win over second place Levante in the league. And the news that come out of that competition being the uh, domestic competition, they've already won the Copa del Rey. But for the rest of the season, it, I mean, Barca have it wrapped up, so it's just keeping everybody healthy. The number there, 110 goals for, four goals conceded in the league this season. 110-4, four conceded, I mean, geez, to 22 wins in 22 matches, perfect there. So uh, looking at this and, and how good and how well they've been, Francis, of what you're hearing, especially in Cat Radio and all those things, after making the Champions League final in 2019 against Lyon, then losing to that all-conquering Lyon side, and then falling the semis last year against Wolfsburg as arguably the better team, they outshot Wolfsburg, but Wolfsburg got the important goal. What are you hearing about the expectations in Spain for this Femini squad? Are Kules just enjoying the ride, or is there talk of a Champions League trophy or bus creeping in yet to those expectations? I think that the Catalonia radio sport and basically all my contacts on the ground in Barcelona are just very excited to see what comes next in terms of the Femini continuing with the great season they've had. This is a project that has started, I would say, three, four years ago and becoming better and better significantly every single year. Um, and everyone is excited for the girls to do well. However, this is not something that comes up, you know, at the front of the telediarios, uh, the front of the news, new broadcasts. Sure. Um, and, you know, I do understand that in the U.S. and around the world, women's football is, is increasing and is sort of getting more important uh, and deservedly so week on week, year on year. But it is not something that dominates the news just yet. Uh, but people know that Barca are doing well, and that is always going to be a positive. Um, whether they're going to take away time in the in the news reports as to how Dembele or Griezmann are doing, I don't think so, or not just yet. But it is a great step in the great direction. And you know, if Barca can go all the way and win the Champions League, then that probably would be the the boost, the explosion that Barca Femini needs. So hopefully, they can they can achieve that. Yeah, I mean, it's been really cool this year to see most of those matches. Very few of the matches in league have been unavailable on Barca TV. So to be able to watch them week in and week out, and then you're also having 
Again, the Women's Champions League coverage was in the same outlets here, at least in the United States. You know, Australia, it's the same thing. Canada, it's the same thing. So to have those matches in the same place where you can find the men's version of the Champions League has been really helpful. And I've been able to watch more feminine and more women's football this year than I ever have before. But this is also a team, again, that's been enjoyable to watch with Jenny, Graham Hansen, as I mentioned, out on the wing, Mariona doing her thing, Martin's likely to arrive off the bench, and then the midfield trio of Alexia, Atiana Bonmati, and Patri with Hamrawi and Vicky Lasada. So that's five. Five midfield players that all would start in almost any other team in the world, all deserving to start in the midfield. And then the back line we've discussed. This is an efficient, competitive, and deep team. And so the one thing I do want to mention too, the, the fears that are being brought up are that this is a squad that's not being challenged enough in Spain. And so having to go from Spanish competition where they're dominating by, I mean, every game is four, five, six, seven goals. And to then jump into the Champions League against just a, a level of competition that you're not used to playing week in and week out. But the, I, I push back on that. The counter argument is that with the fight for minutes and competition in this team, uh, Lecky Martins is a former winner of the best player in the world back in 2017. And yet in the best starting 11 that, that Luis Cortez has put out this year, Martins is actually coming off the bench. So to have a Lecky Martins, uh, again, a former best player in the world to come off your bench because of just how competitive spots are. And that's even if Mariona and Graham Hansen and Jenny start up top, that also puts uh, Aswala, who would be the starting center uh, forward in, again, almost every team in the world, to have those kind of players to come off your bench, it just tells you the depth that this team has. And, I mean, I don't want to say it, but I, I there is there is this fear that if Barca aren't able to get over the hump of Lyon or PSG, that uh, there might be questions about this project. But I agree with you. There has been, just in three, four seasons of putting investment, financial investment, into the Femini, the leaps and bounds that they've been able to make. And, yeah, so... I will move on to talk about Real Valladolid unless you want one final point there. But yeah, the Femini, I'm excited. So we were told to talk about them and there's plenty of good to talk about. I have nothing really to break down because even in that 2-1 loss against Man City, again, they had a million injuries and they were kind of in second gear and Man City were fighting. They were desperate. And hey, they're a good team too with quality, quality players. And so the first challenge that the Femini have had this season, they passed that test with flying colors. So Barca, they've, the, the first team rather, they've been tested as well. And Real Valladolid, you know, that wasn't necessarily one of the bigger tests of the season. That's coming from all classical. But hey, Real by the lead. I, I, I don't know. I give a lot of credit to Real by the lead here. Three points is three points. And I'm happy with the three points. And I'm, I, I, again, I'm, I'm more likely to compliment Real by the lead than to try to poke holes in what Barca's first team did in that one nothing win. Yeah, I think it is the game after the FIFA break. Um, traditionally, we've never done really well on that one. Um, it is clear that Barca, they didn't have enough time to train together and the players were sort of just landed and they didn't have enough recovery, etc., etc., etc. So to get the three points is the most you can ask for. Um, it was not brilliant. I think that especially the first, people say the first half, I'm going to push it further to like the first 65 to 70 minutes, Barca weren't doing that well. It looked like the chemistry just wasn't there and uh, it looked like they'd forgotten how to play with each other. Also, they had tired legs and tired, tired you know, minds as well. And they weren't fully focused. However, after the halftime break, it all got a little bit better progressively and slowly but surely, Barca were creating more occasiones, more chances. They were getting further and further up front. Um, for me, one of the biggest takeaways from the games is that Messi continues to be switched on, um, encouraging everyone to play around, around him and through him and basically being the not the one and only, but definitely the heart of the team from an attacking perspective and also from a, 
from a beacon perspective, being the beacon of the light that, that shines through the team and, and basically, like they said in Spain at the time, tirando del carro, you know, just, just making sure the carriage keeps moving forward and what the team has achieved so far is remarkable. And I think that all of the, I think it's 51 out of the last 57 points or 54 points have been won in La Liga. Mm-hmm. And to, to have that streak is just mind-blowing, especially seeing how we started La Liga. And I think that the game against Valladolid, if it had been any of the Setien, late Valverde, and even, you know, all of those eras, it, it, that game would have never been won. But this team has got something that previous didn't, which is spark, which is hunger, and also the ability to pull games to bed at the end because they're fresh enough to do it, even though they really weren't as fresh as they normally are. So three points is all we wanted. Three points is what we, what we got, and we just moved. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Piquet and Puyol or Piquet and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Forward to the next game. Yeah, I mean, the stat you're mentioning there, 51 and 57. Another way to say that would be it's 19 matches unbeaten in the Liga. The last loss came December, obviously, of 2020. 2-1 to Gadith at that time. So 23 matches in 2019 was the last time they hit 19. So that being under Ernesto Valverde. The last team to get 19 matches unbeaten in the Liga. The only side to not win the title after doing so was one Real Madrid side from decades ago uh, that failed to win the Liga after going 19 or more unbeaten. And Barca actually have done it three times already in the 21st century in 08, 09, 2009, 10, and 2014-15. All pretty good iterations of Barcelona as well. So yeah, recapping Real by the lead, basically the uh, the two I give credit to is I actually do do give credit to both managers in this match here. For Real Valladolid in particular, this was one, believe it or not, I, I know that I'm going to discuss tactics, but 
as you mentioned, there's that extra ump. There's a desire that comes in the spring that you don't really see in the fall. In the fall, in the first half of the season, we can break down tactics. We can say, hey, these managers are all trying something different and they don't want to fall too far behind in the league table. But come the spring, a lot of it is with those tired legs, with seeing the same faces in training every day, day in and day out, having to hear your manager all season long without a break and he's constantly yelling. And it's easy to not compartmentalize what is being told to you. And for these vital lead players who were fighting against relegation, they were missing 12 players due to injury or COVID, which is an incredible number. And many of those were not their starters, but still to not have any options on your bench that you're used to having. And then you wind up getting the red card, that being Real Vitalid. And that's what changed the match, honestly. If Real Vitalid had kept all 11, I think this ends 0-0. But Oscar Plano getting that red card. And it must be said as well that I don't know if it was the game plan, but just all those fouls. There was no flow in this game. There was no rhythm in coming back from the international break. Um, Pedri certainly looked like a player who was both tired, but also getting fouled to bits every 12 seconds. So I don't think he was able to find the rhythm he wanted to. No, no, there was another factor as well that I, you know, when I don't like talking about the referees, I think everyone that's been listening to the podcast over the last four years realizes that and yeah. understands that. I never really like to talk about referees and uh, I never really do. But I think in this game, I think I have to. I think that the Jordi Alba hand that, you know, when the ball goes to his hand and the ball moves back, um, obviously I'm a defender myself. I've been playing football all my life. I think that it is really harsh to have a ball shot at your at your hand. And then if you are not aiming to touch the ball with your hand, then your hand naturally goes back, which is what happened. However, the rule has changed and is any ball that touches the hand inside the area, then it is a penalty. So I think you know we were, we got lucky with that one. So when people are crying out loud for oh there was a penalty against Betis and there was you know, we've lost points here and the, the league is rigged, whatever. I think we need to remember things like this as well. Obviously, I'm delighted that it wasn't given and I'm delighted with all the three points. But I can understand Sergio, uh, the, the manager of Villarreal, uh, Valladolid, uh, Sergio's frustration about that penalty not being given. So I think we need to call a spade a spade and say that, you know, all things in the balance, that probably would have been the decisive point to change the game. Then obviously the red card as well. I think the red card was deserved. But the penalty for me was a bit dodgy. Yeah, I think the, the red card even might have been a yellow earlier in the match, but uh, there were so many yellows leading up to that point. Plano had already been, he had already been warned two or three times before. Mm -hmm. So the, the red card, yeah. you felt like it was coming and, and indeed it did. And so the other half of the credit I want to give, as we mentioned to give credit to Sergio, was the fact that because Real Valladolid were doing such a, an adept job at making sure that how did Real uh, Sociedad get overrun before the break? Well, Sergio clearly looked at that tape and that's he did not allow or he did not or he forced out his wingbacks, his wingbacks a little farther in what was that? What a 5-4-1 shape that they were defending in. And so by making sure that Dest and Alba didn't really have any, many overlaps. So the only time that they were really getting down the wing, that being Barcelona, was those diagonal balls from Messi to Alba. And then it was Alba having to make a decision between Dembele or Griezmann or, or trying to get a final ball in, which isn't really, again, the way that Barcelona wanted to score their goals. They'd rather go through the middle and have Dembele run onto a ball to get to get a shot in or to, to do what he did at the end of the match. But we'll get to that in a second. Uh, yeah, so I, I think for the game plan that Real Vitalid had was to make sure no overlaps happened. So that's nullifying a lot of the offensive 
you know, the offensive skill sets of Sergino Dest and Jordi Alba, and then crowding out Messi in the middle, and then forcing Griezmann and Pedri. And again, Pedri just, it wasn't his best game, and so he wasn't making that final. Uh, his passing was a, a little bit, uh, you know, it, it left something to be desired, that being Pedri. And same thing with Busquets. Busquets actually looked like he had played quite a few matches as well. I'm not saying they were poor, but they looked like they had played a bit. And then on the adverse side of that, it didn't look like Real Valladolid were going to be getting a goal either, though. With um, They did have their chances, but I thought Clement Langley, I if you want to talk about him here before we get to the goal and all at the end, Clement Langley had, I mean, arguably his best game since maybe September, October. And with the form that Barca were in then, I don't think he, you know, he didn't, he never really had a, a star performance either. So this is the first match that I've seen Langley since Barca have hit this form in the new year where he is... Uh, I think earned his minutes and looked like he belonged. I thought he was the best player in the first half, um, arguably. Uh, and then, uh, if you want to respond to Lingley, then I just want to talk about the tactics and how that goal happened at the end and give a little bit credit to Kuman. Yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm in agreement with you. I think that Lingley had a fantastic game by his standards and by anyone's standard, to be honest. Um, I like the fact that from time to time he even dared to push forward and take long range shots, which is something that. Kuman has clearly explained to the team that they, they have to do much more often than they did in previous seasons. Um, there was a stat, I really can't remember now, but there was a stat a couple of match days ago that said that Barca had taken the most shots from outside the area out of anyone in the Spanish league. Obviously, that's two, two match days ago. I don't know what's happened in terms of change, but certainly it is a remarkable change because Barca, you know, we, we've been shouting at the podcast for four years, over the podcast for four years, saying, you know, try and shoot from outside and try and walk the ball in. Uh, it doesn't always have to be a, a cross from Alba and then someone sort of getting it in, like Messi obviously does much more often than not, which is great. Um, and having another attacking option, taking long-range shots, uh, and not just necessarily just from Messi, because that's very easy to defend against, to just get the little guy and try and put five guys in front of him. But you've got people like Dembele that are constantly trying it. You've got people like Griezmann that, not as often, but from time to time, he's got a long, uh, he's got a, a great possibility of scoring from long range. But not only them, Mingueza has done it before, Lengle has attempted it. Um, if Piquet was playing, he would also be trying it. Serginho has tried it as well. Um, Jordi Alba, not necessarily long range, but he is shooting a lot more, a, more, a, a lot more early than usual, um, much more unexpected not just sort of always aiming for the for the far post, but also the closest one as well. So shots are coming from different positions by a large variety of players, and that's what makes Barca more unpredictable now than last year. So that that is great. And to see, going back to Lengle, to see someone that has been criticized so badly and so intensively for so many years, and necessarily, not necessarily uh, from the beginning of his tenure at Barca, but certainly the last year, and much more intensely the last, I want to say, three months, four months, to have someone coming out the other end and outperforming his former self like that is, is remarkable. So that's good news as well. Yeah, and I, I do want to mention too, the, the key in the Real Valladolid lead game, pushing back on the idea. And again, this isn't just praising Akuman because you can argue there are things about Again, getting your team ready for the start of this match where Barca probably could have got a goal or two in that first half, and they didn't. Mm -hmm. All that said, the manager saw what was happening and saw that Real Valladolid had set up well, and so he changed things. And for as stubborn as we said that Ronald Koeman was at the start, even with this 3-5-2, he was willing to change what he was doing. And so in, to start the second half... To put Dembele out on the right wing instead of have him play at that number nine spot where he was. And then finally, when he put Trincao on in uh, midway through that second half, 
Trincao winds up going on the right. That pushes Dembele to the left. So to basically keep your faith in Dembele, who you have to say wasn't really having a great first half. He was in and out of the match. So there was a moment where you could have said when Brothwaite and Trincao came on, was it going to be Dembele or Griezmann? And to choose to take Griezmann off in that position and to keep Dembele on showed a faith that Dembele was going to be part of the end result of the winner. And indeed he was. So it worked out in that way. The other thing I want to mention with that change was De Jong in the second half, where he was that libero in the first half, he was getting much farther forward in that second half with the understanding that Barcelona's defensive shape was going to be okay because Real Valladolid weren't trying to break through the middle. They were just trying to break on the wings. So by having Dest and Alba play just a bit farther back, and not if, if, if Valladolid rather wanted to make sure that no overlaps happen, then if that's not going to happen, that's fine. So Alba and Dust would stay put a little bit more. And then De Jong added the extra body up through the middle. And that meant that Barca constantly had possession, even more possession in the second half. And when it was time for Valladolid to break, you had Busquets, Pedri, and De Jong all shutting that down, basically sideline to sideline. So Barca were constantly keeping in with, with, with I mean, with, with a pretty heavy press. And that was, again, another change that happened in the second half that, that I think tipped that... To, to make those tired legs provide a lead and open up spaces where that winner finally came from. And the final point there is when Araujo comes off the bench in that second half, just seconds before De Young crossed that ball in, and I mentioned too, Alba was the one who tracked it down. So just like we were talking about, uh, it was a failed clear by via the lead. Alba winds up getting it back, and then it's Pouge, and then it's worked around, finally to De Young on that right wing, because even though Des was out of the game, he'd been subbed out. They were continuing with those 10 players, obviously, with Vitaly because they were one man down. There was finally room on that side because of the 10 players that, again, because of the red card. So De Jong was able to exploit that space, cross the ball in. And as I mentioned, Araujo, who just came into the box seconds before pulling a Gerard Piquet. So that's probably coming from the sideline, right? That call. I mean, you you were defended before, Frances. If you're a center back, you're only allowed to go up into the penalty box when somebody gives the call. You don't just do that on your own. You know, so unless you're unless you are Gerard Piquet, I mean, he's a captain. He can maybe make that call. But Araujo, I mean, you're a 21 year old center back. I think that call came from somebody on the sideline, whether it was Kuman or whether it, it was the bench. So depends. But, um, as a defender or a centre back that I played for for many years as well, um, I wasn't just a fullback. I was also a centre back, especially later when I mm -hmm. became a little bit slower. Um, you just push forward when you see there is space, um, when you see there is a chance. Also, in the last. 10, 15 minutes of every match, um, people are tired, uh, but people are tired of seeing the same people running into the same spaces, which is what, what you mentioned about switching Dembele around, that <laughs> as a defender, if you're a lead defender, that's not someone you want to be facing. You know, you're, you're much happier to have someone who is slower, who is more predictable than Dembele, who is electric and can go anywhere. Um, as for the centre-back moving forward, yeah, you just see the space. And you know that no one really expects you because even if you're a fullback, you normally are making the same runs. It's either towards the byline, um, straight ahead, or combining towards the middle. But the centre backs are not are unexpected. You can do whatever you want, which is why Piquet normally does it at the end of matches. And uh, if you can, if you're able to open the ball to the side and then get into the striking position, then that's a win-win situation. Obviously, add that to the fact that. Araujo is as fit as can be, obviously after the injury as well, incredibly strong, incredibly tall. That's a great option that ultimately won us the game. So good news again. Yep, and then Dembele still had to finish it. There was still work to do when the header from Araujo came to the foot of Dembele. He now has yeah. 15 goals in his left foot, 14 goals in his right in his Barca career. So continues to do it from either side. And that winds up still being 
you'll say, a, an ace in the hat of Ronald Koeman. That's not the phrase, but to have Dembele being able to play on the left and the right at such a high level, and then also playing as, the, again, a number nine, <laughs> playing in the middle throughout most of the game, um, it's important. And I also want to mention as well, Griezmann. In the buildup, the way he, the way the positions he took in this game, I thought he was good in this in this in this match as well. So no, not much to complain. And the the final point I want to make is even with this match hanging the balance in the way that it did, it seems like Ronald Koeman not only that he doesn't necessarily have his guys, but he has his rotation. That and I think that I, I cannot iterate enough that to have a role and for players to understand what their role is, when they're going to see the field, who they're going to be taking the place of, is helpful for that continuity at this point in the season. So again, you hear the calls for, I I, I know we're bringing up Pooch, but once again, I, I say it again, he knows he's coming in in the 86th to 90th minute, and he did just that, and he winds up, be, he winds up being important. He winds up playing a role yeah. in the goal. And for him to understand where he's going to fit is fine. And so quickly, I'm going to move on from him and say even Iyash Mariba. Iyash now understands even having played the 90 minutes two days prior for Barcelona B, because again, we don't have time on this show to talk about them, but they wound up getting a good start, but they needed Ies Mariba. They have tons of midfield uh, injuries and he plays the full 90. Then understanding, that being Iash, that he's going to come in somewhere between the 70th and the 90th minute, or 65th and 90th in almost every match. And he knows he's usually going to come in for Busquets. In this, this time around, Busquets had already come out of the match, so he winds up coming in for Pedri, but he still winds up being the deepest midfielder in more of a defensive role because De Young was pushing forward. So understanding where he's going to be on the field and when he's going to be on the field, I think has really helped the young players in Puj, in ES Mariba, know what the role is on the team and even Trincao. And it allows, it allows those young players to know what their job is, even when a game like this is hanging in the balance. And I think that's been so helpful. So you can ask for rotation, but I also understand why after the international break, Kuman went with the starting lineup or the Gala 11 at this point, if you will. Um, so I understand why he went with the lineup that he that he went with. And I also think it's a great thing that these young players understand what they mean to the team and also play a role in this team. It is great news as well that Kuman is making full use of the five subs. Um, if you think yeah. about it, when that was a rule that came after the first Corona sort of lockdown, etc. happened, and Setien at the time didn't have a clue how to use it, never really did it. And everyone, you know, was, was used there for, for the full 90. And maybe there was a substitution for Luis Suarez on the 87th or 83rd minute. And uh, it was way too late by then. Now, I wasn't a fan of the five substitutions. I'm still not a fan because I am more of a traditionalist. I think that traditional football is the way it is. And three subs is the way it's always been, so it shouldn't change. Having said that, and having the experience over the last 13, 14 months that we have now, it actually has helped us a lot. Um, someone like Ilash or Ricky, for example, would have had even less minutes, or even Trincao even, would have a lot less minutes than they have had if it was limited to, to three substitutions, like it's always been. So that's another positive to celebrate. And I think that if we've got a, a coach that understands the the value of youth understands the value of the risk that comes with making the young players play not all the time but very regularly or much more regularly than the previous managers have done then that's another step in the right direction for us and what this does mean this is the big picture here is again the three points happen so barca won the match they had to and now they're just one point behind Atletico Madrid, both having played the same number of matches. That means nine matches are going to decide whether it's one of the two Madrid sides, the big Madrid sides, or it's Barcelona who, ha- who caps the Liga trophy. And so I think this is a, a good point to pivot to talking about Real Madrid and El Clasico because 
as much as Real Valle the lead, not to say it was an afterthought, but the next two matches for Barca are El Clasico and then the Copa del Rey final. So now the matches matter. And one of the big questions we've had about Barcelona this season around Ocumen is that even in the Spanish Super Cup, that loss to Athletic, uh, Athletic Club in the final, can Barca win the big matches this season? So they haven't really had many quote-unquote big matches that they've had to win. So can Barcelona, and even in that first leg against PSG, that was one of the only losses that Barca has had in the new year. Um, and yes, they played well in the second leg, but even that was still a draw. So can Barcelona win the big matches this year? El Clasico is going to be the answer to that question. And whatever side, being Real Madrid or Barca, that get the to get those points, and Madrid, that being Real Madrid, two points behind Barca. So if they get three points, now they're one point above Barca, and that puts that that basically says it's up to two other teams to decide their fate before Barca get to decide their own. That's how important this match is. And so the transition I want to make here, and I said Gala 11. So the 11 that we saw, I mean, maybe you could argue that it's a Rajo for Langley potentially, but Langley being on the left side and as a left-footed left center back, I understand why in that 3-5-2, he would take that position instead of a Rajo with his right foot. That said, I thought Sergio Roberto, there were, there were rumors that he was going to be healthy against Real Valle to lead and potentially getting a start in midfield for rotation for Busquets or Pedri. He wasn't. He wasn't even in the squad. So with PK and Roberto, at this point when we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon, they seem like they're going to be fit and in the squad against, uh, for El Clasico against Madrid. Madrid, we'll talk about their injuries in a second. But do you trust PK and Roberto to come back after these long-term injuries? Or do you go with the players that have been playing so well in 2021? Um, I don't know. Because as I said before, I'm not a doctor. And I'm not there in training. So I really don't know whether PK is fit enough. But if the doctor's given... Yeah, let's say they are fit. Let's say say Roberto and PK are fully fit for this match. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but but, being, being fit for the game doesn't mean you're match fit. Yeah. You know, that you don't, basically don't have any any games in your leg. Obviously, you've got a lot of uh, training sessions, not a lot, but enough training sessions for the doctors to say that. So you clearly are not match fit, match ready, like someone like, for example, Griezmann would be, say. Um, so if if the doctors say that they are fit, and let's assume that, then I play I play them both. Uh, obviously, Sergio Roberto doesn't need to make the start to 11, but if he is fit, he comes in in the second half at some stage. So... Um, I know you haven't asked, but my starting eleven would be then. Obviously, there's Stegen on goal. You've got the back three with, to me, is Mingueza on the right, PK in the center if he's fit, and if not, it would be the young because really there's no other option in there that Kuman would trust. And to be honest, I think I would probably do the same. Even though I wouldn't want to, obviously, because the young is for me is more impactful up front. But let's just say that Mingueza starts on the right, then PK in the middle. To me, is Lenglet on the left right now. The two wings are easy. You've got um, Serginho on the right and you've got uh, Jordi Alba on the left. Then in front of them has to be Busquets. Then you've got the Young and Pedri um, either side in the changing, normally Pedri more towards the left, in my, in my opinion. And then you've got the three. So I would probably go for obviously Griezmann, Messi and Dembele has to be. And then it will be whatever formation Kuman decides to, to go for. I mean, obviously... He's going to be changing the drawing, the, the formation and dibujo the whole time. So it doesn't really matter where they play, but the three up front have to be them. Uh, and then obviously in the second half, having um, Araujo coming on if needed, that would be good. Um, having Sergio Roberto in fit, that would be great as well. Maybe Bradway comes in, maybe Trincao comes in. Yannick seems to be an afterthought, but maybe Lash comes on if we need some muscle and some some energy. It just depends how the game goes. but. To have 
I just named 16, 17 players in the nines. To have that many yeah. players, I, I didn't mention Ricky Butch, but you know, you need someone in, something invented at the end, and uh, you're chasing a result, and you're confident that the right thing to do is to go for the win, not stay with the draw, which that's debatable in itself. Then you may throw in Ricky, but obviously throwing in Ricky brings, in my experience and from what I've seen, a little bit more risk defensively. But if, if Kuman is happy to 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 run that risk, then you do that as well. But what I was saying, having 17 or 18 players at this stage in the season that you can trust is a blessing. So, um, so having Piquet and Sergio Roberto is obviously always going to be a positive. But if they can go straight into the rotation, they don't have the minutes um, asegurado. So the, the minutes are not there for sure. So we'll have to see. Yeah, on the other side, Real Madrid, they have tons of injuries. There's no Sergio Ramos. I know we're all crying about that. I know you were you wanted to see your old friend, <laughs> Frances, and Sergio Ramos. So we're not going to be seeing him, but we're also not going to be seeing Rafael Varane either. He's also out for this one with COVID. And then injuries as well. Danny, uh, Danny Carvajal will be out and no Hazard as well. So uh, Real Madrid and Zidane are basically going with, we'll say they have a Gala 11. That, that's what they have at the moment. That's who started and beat pretty comprehensively beat Liverpool 3-1 winners yesterday. Um, yes, I sat through that one. I did watch that one. But I, I'm actually not afraid. I know 3-1 winners over Liverpool on paper, you just tell somebody on the street that, especially back, you know, 2018, you knock somebody on the shoulder and say, hey, you know, this is this is Liverpool fell to 3-1 against, against Real Madrid. However, Liverpool were... In that match, Liverpool were making mistakes that I haven't seen Barca make in 2021. So Liverpool both gave Tony Cruz and Luka Modric time on the ball and they played a high line that didn't press much at all. So what do you think is going to happen, right? <laughs> exactly that. If you give Tony Cruz or Modric time on the ball, and you're not pressing, and you're playing a high line, you're going to have a player like Vinicius Jr., who is hot or cold. I mean, he is everything that, that Kool-Aid's get frustrated about Dembele. Vinicius Jr. is exactly that, except he doesn't score as much, <laughs> believe it or not. So that's what Vinicius Jr. is, but Vinicius Jr. was running wild against Liverpool because, again, they were just tactically, they, they didn't have it. They were they were out of the game, and the fullback in Trent Alexander-Arnold had, a, as they like to say on the internet, a disaster class. He was a mess in that match, and it looked like Real Madrid were actually targeting him and exploiting that. And when you have the 3-5-2 that Barcelona are playing, even if they go after Serginho Dest, what we've seen before, other teams have tried to do that, including PSG, but in that 3-5-2, you do have Mingueza, or you do have Ara, whoever's behind him in that 3-5-2. So there, uh, th there is a defensive solidity for Barcelona in this 3-5-2 that Liverpool just did not showcase there. I do want to mention, though, there, there is reasons to fear this team. Kareem Benzema is in form right now. Again, another player I, I detest, but he did follow Messi's February Player of the Month with his own in March. He has 18 goals to lead the team, plus six assists. So Benzema arguably having maybe the best offensive uh, year of his career, believe it or not. Um, and then Casemiro as well. Stepping up his goal scoring with late runs into the box. He's second on the team, that being Casemiro for Zidane with five goals. And he's arguably having the best, we'll say, season of his career as well. So, yeah, I mean, Madrid, they're playing well. It's not that they're not playing well. And they were were they, they were better than Barca the first time this year that these two teams met. But Barca, I think, is better now. And that's yeah. the thing that as good as Real Madrid is... I think if Barca take care of business and play the way that they've been playing, even the game that they played against Real Valladolid, because Real Madrid are not going to pack it in there. And I, I thought that Barca defensively, they stuck to their laurels and they managed to, they, they closed things down. And I don't think Real Madrid, as long as you get Tony Cruz off the ball, uh, you know, it's going to come into a battle of the mid midfield, in my opinion, more than anything else. Yeah, and for this game, obviously, this is not a news flash, but there's not going to be anyone in the stadium. And the stadium is not a stadium, it's a training ground. It's the Alfredo de Stefano Ciudad Deportiva, mm -hmm. uh, which, to be honest, I don't know how they get away with that. 
you know, how how is a Champions League quarterfinal or a Clásico being played in that? I, I will never understand. The things that Real Madrid get away with in, in Spain are, you know, we could have a, a whole series of podcasts about that. It's really, it's, it's mind-blowing. Well, you start with so, Di Stefano, actually. You could start, that's actually one of yeah, the namesake, the namesake <laughs> of the stadium. That's where you could start that that's conversation. That's probably named that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, for next season, Barca should just play in the, in the parking lot and just have some people kicking the ball around and, you know, yeah. if Real Madrid can get away with it, then... <laughs> We should be able to do that too. Yeah, the Johan Cruyff yeah. Stadium is too nice. I think the Johan Cruyff Stadium is too nice for that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Of course, of course, it's a huge upgrade on on that. But mm-hmm. no, that that put aside, there's not going to be any fans in the stadium. Um, the rivalry between the players, obviously, it's what it's always it always has been. Um, there's no Jose Mourinho at the wheels, so that's obviously decreasing the temperature quite a lot. Um, but at the same time, these are two teams that. Basically, two months ago, thought they didn't have a really, really, really a chance of winning La Liga, and they're both competing and getting to the end of it. With you know, depending both of them really depending on themselves to win the competition. So this is going to be a huge clash. Um, this is going to be something that I'm certainly looking forward to watching, and I'm so sure that everyone listening is as well. Um, I do hope that Barca. I'm not, I'm not okay. If this was a month ago or two months ago, I would have been a bit wary of what Kuman would do. But I think they were all quite clear on what Kuman is going to do. He's really not going to change anything that works. Um, his team selection they, they, it has been quite solid throughout, really. Uh, and the thing is, we've got so many players that could make the starting eleven that it really doesn't matter as such who he chooses because he can always rectify. And he's getting better at rectifying earlier in the game. So... As you've already mentioned, if Barca do what they do, and Messi is, as I said at the beginning of this podcast today, is as happy and involved and associative and decisive as he has been lately, we've got a very good chance of winning this. Um, do we need to win this game to win La Liga? Not really. Uh, I think Atletico are going to be dropping even more points moving forward. But if we win this game and we can... Because Atletico are playing at Betis, see? And I don't think Atletico are winning. They also are losing. They also lost Luis Suarez for two to three weeks as well, and he's been their best yes. player this year. Yes, yes, they have. So I don't really think that Atletico are going to win many more points away from home, to be honest. So winning a Clásico may not necessarily be the be all and end all. I think even if you get a draw, you may still be able to challenge for La Liga. Obviously, the important game would then be the one against Atletico and not dropping any points in between, obviously. So if you want to go for the win in a Clásico and you can, you obviously go for it. But I don't think it's as decisive as um, as it would have been two months ago. Having said that, let's win this because we've got the skills, we've got the drive, we've got the energy, we've got the quality, and we've got the momentum to do it. So let's get it done. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, you're right. The stadium, the ve- I mean, the venue in this case, the no fans, it does feel like, as we talked about in the fall, that some of the buzz of El Clasico is gone. But what's interesting to me is that yeah, I mean, this could be an El Clasico that at least gives whoever wins this this match enough points to t- overtake Atletico Madrid. And I agree with 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 Real Madrid two points behind Barca at the moment. This doesn't kick Barca out of the the trophy race. But if Barca does beat Real Madrid, I think Los Blancos are probably out of the, the the La Liga race if they lose this one. And yeah, of course, Champions League things are going well for them. They're they look like they might be in a semifinal already. And you know how Real Madrid does in the Champions League, even when they're not the best team. All that said, uh, it's again interesting to me that at this juncture in the season, it's going to be Zidane because of his injuries. 
he basically has is it's a gala 11 it's benzema up top and then on the wings in a 4-3-3 you've got uh, marco asensio and vinicius jr and then your midfield cruz modric and casemiro and then their back line it's ferlin mendy on the left they're playing nacho uh, as a left center back and then Militao is coming in, the young the young Brazilian as the right center back. And then the, uh, again, criminally underrated Lucas Vasquez is at the right, the right back position. Uh, and he gets forward at times as well, overlaps, things like that. And then Courtois on net. So Zidane has a starting 11 that he's going to go with. He has Isco coming off the bench and Rodrigo and uh, Fede Valverde, who has had good match against Barca before and um, potentially even Marcelo. But the bench for Real Madrid looks, as you had mentioned, when you rattle off those 17 players, that bench for Real Madrid is not something I'm afraid of. And that's why you know that Zidane is, I mean, we'll say there's a 98% chance he's going to go with what is a gala 11, if you will, that he has. And as you mentioned, if if the 11 that we saw against Real Valle, the lead was the 11 that Kuman went with, it's five days of rest. So there was no, you know, weekend match and then midweek match. So I think you're going to probably see the same 11 again. And it's going to be, this is my best 11 I've got. I mean, yes, maybe it might be, PK in for somebody else and I mean I mean again I, I'm not sure that Kuman with Frankie de Young playing in that in that back in that back three for the last few weeks I don't know if they're going to push I don't know if Kuman would push him in the midfield I think it's going to be so that would so that means that it's going to be PK potentially taking the place of Mingetha which again it's it's a <laughs> it's tough for Mingetha to be overtaken by PK but again that's something that on paper at least makes a little bit of sense but PK would also set up in the middle of that back three so then where do you put is it de Young who's on the the right center back position there so those are the questions I think Kuman has to ask but those are good questions to have that Ronald Kuman is going to have 13 players that he can say or 14 players if you will hey maybe i i have the ability to have a little wrinkle here and i don't think zidane has that option i think zidane has to go with the best 11 he has and try to get these three point these three points here to keep themselves alive in the liga and then again they have to look back to next week because liverpool i i know that they won 3-1 but liverpool did get a a a, an away goal in the champions league and i you know for liverpool have not been themselves this year and that back line is terrible but I can't imagine that Jurgen Klopp is going to allow his team to play as poorly in that second leg at, at Anfield. So, I mean, they also, that being Real Madrid, have to look uh, three or four days later against an, uh, the, the return tie against Liverpool. Um, yeah, so it's, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be for Kuman. He has more options. And I, I'd say that Barcelona, as you said, if they want it more, they have all the tools in their toolbox to win this match. And I mean, how long has it been? It's been about a year and a half, right? That you felt like Barca were the favorites going into an El Clasico. We always felt that, that Real Madrid just had a little bit of an edge in the last about, what, a year and a half or two years. But I think Barca is the favorites for the first time in a little bit now. Well, I don't know about favorites. Uh, I think that we could certainly win the game. Um, let's not forget this is La Liga. Let's not forget that this is Spain. Let's not forget that there's a man in the middle who seems to be referee and that, you know, you think that a little bit... Well, it's, Mate- it's Mateo Lajos. They've already announced it. It's, a, it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, Mateo yeah. Lajos. And, yeah, we know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if things get a little bit um, strange, then the balance needs to tip one side. Then we always know which, which way the balance will fall, um, you know. There's no conspiracy here. There's no Florentino putting his hand. But, you know, we've been in a life for nearly four decades now. I think that it's about time we understood what this is. But, you know, that put aside, we've got a good team. We've got the momentum. We know how to win. And we just need to put everything together for 90 minutes. And then we can certainly win this. There's nothing to, to stop us. There's nothing to fear. And then we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, and the last little note here, uh, fresh faces for both these teams. 
Uh, again, uh, Zidane might have to go with some young players because he doesn't really have anybody else. There's a uh, right winger, Spanish right winger, 19-year-old Sergio Arribas. He's more similar to Isco in his playing style than the Brazilian wingers in Rodrigo and, and Vinicius Jr. But all that said, yeah, for Ies Mariba, this is going to be his first El Clasico. Now the other ones, again, Dest showed up, basically came off the plane and was in the first El Clasico. So he's been at Barca uh, a bit longer since then. And Megatha, if memory serves, didn't play in El Clasico the first time either. So this will, this would be his first as well. So remember, Ies Mariba, I know he won't do the same thing, but he had a hat trick uh, against Real Madrid at youth level. So I think for, again, a player who's been in the academy this many years, you can there's that sense that, hey, this is Real Madrid. This is the one that I've been waiting years and years and years to play in. So I'm excited to see Ies Mariba in El Clasico. And then again, a week from a week after uh, Real Madrid, it's the Copa del Rey final against Athletic Club. So these matches now matter. And that's, again, the big question about Barca. Can they win the big one? So I think we have previewed El Clasico until we're blue in the face at this point. And I think we've done our job. So that's going to wrap up this edition of the Barcelona podcast. Dan, yeah, final point, Princess, please. We don't give us scores, do we? Predictions? Do we, yeah, don't we? Oh, I don't do predictions for that. They make me do that oh. on the uh, on the Twitch stream, on on on, on the uh, locker room. Okay. <laughs> for the Twitch stream, okay. I don't like doing that, but I'd like to hear yours. Okay, good. Um, very well deflected that one. <laughs> I'm gonna go for one three, Barca win. Three one Barca win. I'm gonna say it's gonna be a little closer, and I I, I would I would I'm gonna probably what I <laughs> give it away. I'm probably gonna predict on Friday a two-one Barca victory. So that is I I that's that's what I'll go with. Um, I'm not gonna say who's gonna get the goals, but as I said, Barca if they press high, just don't let Tony Cruz touch the ball. And uh, I know that's harder, that's uh, easier said than done. But crowding out Cruz and Modric, that's the key when when Real Madrid just don't have that many answers. So Barca have plenty of answers in Dembele in the in the fullback play in Messi of course Lionel Messi somehow we went through an entire preview without mentioning Messi but <laughs> we know what Messi likes to do so you know it, it, the Santiago Bernabeu is his vacation home so I'm hoping he can make the Alfredo de Stefano and uh, basically make it a timeshare if you will so <laughs> get another timeshare at the uh, at another Madrid stadium so we'll, we'll have to see so again that's coming up this weekend and again we thank you the listeners for joining us for another show you can find us on twitter or instagram at the barcelona pod close facebook group that's tvpod.link backslash group and then patreon that's how we keep making these shows i want to thank our new patrons as well we had three new patrons again this week always always appreciate it that's also where i have the match reviews i put on youtube i also put the audio up there on um on the Patreon page, and you can also listen to these without the ads. I know there's not too many ads, but you can also listen to these without the ads on Patreon as well, so that's a little incentive to help support the show, and YouTube, match reviews, all that good stuff. I think I might even make a preview video as well with a little more figures and numbers and things, pretty things for people to look at other than our our dashing, dashing faces, princess. So (laughs) most importantly, though, I want to say thanks for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon, and Forza Barca. Forza.